Man, it's so good to be here this morning. That That's my prayer, man. I, I absolutely love that song, and I love hearing you guys sing that out from the bottom of your hearts. I want more of you, God. And the beautiful thing about that is that's not just a reflection of our desire towards him, but that is also a reflection of his desire for us. He wants absolutely all of us, and he wants for us to have more of him. He wants for us to experience the fullness of who he is. That is his desire for us. He's longing for that. He's longing for us to experience him in that kind of way. So keep your hearts open to that today. Keep your souls open to that as we receive the word that he's about to speak to us and let it pierce us in the places where we where we need it the most, where he knows that we need it the most. Keep yourself open to him this morning. God, that's our prayer. We want more of you. We want more of you and we want for you to have absolutely all of us. When we closed out last week, we were challenging each other on places where we needed to be obedient to you, on places that we needed to surrender to you, where we needed to move in obedience. Keep pushing us in that direction today as we continue to move on. Keep pushing us in that. Draw us into obedience. We know that it's your grace that enables our obedience. So give us the grace we need to walk with you. Give us the grace we need to surrender ourselves fully to you. That's what we want more than anything. Help us to experience that. So your name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's nothing like a good welcome home, right? There's nothing like a good welcome home. Last week, I was was gone uh, to New York to work at a camp, and Jason and I were, I was doing the speaking, he was leading the worship, and they're very grateful we didn't try to switch those two things, okay? Um, So we were working at a camp together, and it was a blast. We had a great time, but man, there is nothing like a good welcome home. And when I got home last night, it was uh, a little after 10, and uh, the boys were already asleep. Uh, I was missing them. I was thinking about trying to make a lot of noise, like to wake them up, you know. Um, But I didn't do that. But Sarah and I were talking, and all of a sudden, I could hear their bedroom door, like, creak open, right? And I could hear some footsteps coming. And Sam came around the corner and looked into our bedroom and I just love that moment of when he was like, even through his sleep, he's starting to realize what's going on, you know. And he came running to me and he said, you came back. <laughs> I was like, that was awesome. You came back. That was so great. There is nothing like a good welcome home. Throughout the book of Hebrews that we've been studying uh, together this summer, This is a repeating kind of theme. The idea that Jesus is the one who creates the house. Jesus is the one who builds the house. And then through his work, through his sacrifice on the cross, through the blood that he spills out for us, he brings us into life in that house. Jesus is our welcome home. He brings us in. And so that's what we've been hammering away at all uh, summer long as we look at this book of of Hebrews. And today we're going to continue. We're going to be in chapter 7 today. And we're going to kind of take this next step on of Hebrews. What did I say? 
Oh, yeah, good. All right. I might have said something different, okay? Hebrews chapter 7, okay? And we're moving into a really interesting part here uh, where we're going to talk today about this figure that's mentioned in the Old Testament. His name is Melchizedek, okay? Let's all say that together. Melchizedek. All right. Well done. Okay. Um, So he appears in the Old Testament and he's this really mysterious kind of figure. Now we remember that the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians. Okay. They're believers in Jesus who have this deep and rich history in Judaism. So they have this deep respect for the great figures of Judaism, Abraham, and Moses, and David, and those three figures keep showing back up in the book of Hebrews. So as the author of Hebrews is preaching this sermon to these people, he's speaking to them in their context, right? He's speaking them to them in a way that they completely understand and completely grasp. So he's talking about Jesus in light of Abraham and Moses and David, in light of all of the prophets and in light of all of the priests who have come before, in light of all of the kings who have come before. And he's repeatedly saying that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And all of those other pieces have been shadows pointing forward to the arrival of Jesus. And even though in in the Old Testament, God sets up prophets, priests, and kings as his way of engaging with the people, prophets, priests, and kings as the mediators between God and the people, this book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus completes all of those and that in this one person of Jesus, we have prophet, the one who speaks to the people on behalf of God because he doesn't just bring the word, he is the word. We have the priest. The one who speaks to God on our behalf. The one who intercedes for us. And we have King, the one who reigns, the one who conquers all things. And so this author is continually speaking to these people in these kinds of terms because they grasp it. Now, already a couple of times in this book, he's dropped this name, Melchizedek. He's already dropped it a couple of times in talking about Jesus and saying Jesus is like Melchizedek. Now, when the Jewish people are hearing this, their imagination is starting to light up, okay? They're getting excited about hearing this name because this is such a mysterious figure, but it was a fascinating figure from the Old Testament for them. We find his story in Genesis chapter 14, and when he interacts with Abraham, okay? Now, Abraham has already been blessed by God, and God's made a covenant with him to bless him, And we've seen that start to happen in his life. And um, he's accumulating a lot of possessions that are representing the blessing of God in his life. That's the way it worked for Abraham. That doesn't mean that's the way it's going to work for you. Okay. Your possessions do not equal the blessing of God in your life. Okay. So if you're sitting there today and you don't have a lot of possessions, don't think that God's blessing is not in your life. Okay. And if you're sitting there and you do have a lot, do not think that you are automatically living in the blessing of God in your life, okay? The two aren't always uh, tied together. And if somebody tells you that they are, run from that person, okay? So God has blessed Abraham in this kind of way, and it's a way of providing for the promise that God has already made to Abraham. 
uh, Abraham and Lot. Lot is Abraham's nephew, and they've both accumulated so much. They have so many herds and flocks, okay, that, that they have to actually split directions, and they have to go separate ways because the land that they're on can't contain both of them at once. So they divide ways. Abraham goes towards Canaan. As we talked uh, several months ago, Lot chooses for himself and goes towards the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he sets up camp in that direction. In chapter 13 of Genesis, because of Lot's association with Sodom and Gomorrah, he gets trapped in a war, okay? The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are in a war against other cities in that region, and as a result, Lot gets taken, and Lot's family are taken as prisoners of war, and all of their possessions are carried off with them. Abraham, being hardcore as he is, is now in his 80s and yet he gathers together about 300 people and he launches this rescue mission to go break Lot out. And it says that Abraham goes, an 80-year-old man goes and routes the enemy and brings Lot and his family and all of the possessions back. In that moment, as we have Abraham coming out of victory in this war, he encounters this mysterious figure of Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 14. And here's what it says. It's only three verses long, all right? But here's here's that interaction. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem. Sorry about that. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Okay, that's interesting for us as believers as we begin to prepare for communion here in just a few minutes. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high and he blessed Abraham saying, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Interesting. Interesting. This figure who appears out of nowhere and has this very strange kind of interaction with Abraham. Very strange kind of interaction with him. And so because of this, because Melchizedek is this figure that appears out of nowhere, he's present for three verses total, and then he disappears back into nowhere. Right. The people became fascinated with this story. They're also fascinated with him because of his position in the Jewish mindset. They understood that you were you could be a priest or you could be a prophet or you could be a king. But you're not going to be multiple things at once. And yet Melchizedek is both a priest and a king at the same time. Interesting. Also, Melchizedek. This is the first time the word priest is ever mentioned in the Bible. He's the first priest that we meet. This is before Moses. So this is before Moses has set up the system of priests who are the ones mediating between us and God. So very interesting. They're wondering, who is this person? He comes out of nowhere. So we don't know where he begins. And then he disappears into nowhere, so we don't know where he ends. And so in their mind, they develop this idea that this figure of Melchizedek was a forever kind of priest. A priest forever, both priest 
and king, and they became fascinated with him. And things started to develop around him where they started to believe that maybe he was some kind of angel of the Lord, some kind of like representative of who God was. So this is the mindset of the people. And it's into this that the author of the Hebrews starts to talk about Melchizedek being connected with Jesus. You're already making the connections in your mind of what he might be getting at. But here's what he says to them. After dropping those hints and after planting those seeds, now in chapter 7, he fully explains what he means by that and the way that Jesus is like Melchizedek. Here's what he says. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and he blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So incredible that that he blesses Abraham much like God has already spoken this blessing over Abraham's life. And Abraham gives him a tenth of everything, which later in when Moses sets up the worship system, the people are required to give a tenth of all that they have to God. That's why we still practice that idea of tithes today because we give a tenth of what we have to God. And yet here we have Abraham giving this to Melchizedek. It's very interesting, okay? First, his name means king of righteousness. And then also he's the king of Salem and Salem means peace. So he is called the king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of his plunder. So there we go. We're talking about who he is. He's beginning to make the connections for the people about how Melchizedek is now used to represent Jesus. And it's a very powerful moment for them because they've always been fascinated with this character. But in the Jewish mind, they've never been able to grasp what his true meaning is. Who is he? Where does he come from? Where does he go to? Why is he in this story? Yet they're drawn to him. They're drawn to him, but they've never been able to put together the pieces of the mystery. He's been this enigma to them. And now all of the sudden, the author of Hebrews is saying that the mystery you've been puzzled over is now beginning to make sense in light of who Jesus is. It's now all starting to come together because of who Jesus is. Here's what he says. He collected a tenth from Abraham and he blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. So he's saying Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, just as Jesus is greater even than our father Abraham. If perfection could not have been attained through the priests, through our priests, then why was there a need for another one to come? One in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. On the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Jesus is the indestructible life, he says. And God speaks over him in prophecy. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is quoting from Psalm 110. 
So we've got Abraham's story, Melchizedek showing up. Later, we have Melchizedek show up uh, through the poetry of David in the Psalms. And we've got this poetry that's about the future king of Israel. And it's about the king of Israel. And in the middle of that, this statement is made that the future king of Israel will be like Melchizedek because he's a priest and a king at the same time. And he will be a priest forever, it says. It goes on to say this. Jesus is that better hope who is introduced by which we draw near to God. Uh, Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is our permanent priest like Melchizedek. He's a priest forever. There is no end to his service. He's a high priest forever. The way that the high priest system was set up in Israel was this. The, the, the priests would cast lots to determine who would be the high priest for that year. And the position of high priest is not something that you just attain. It's something that they believe God picked out each year and it was a rotating position. So it was different. The high priest changed from time to time. And as time went on, a different person moved into that role of high priest. But the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is our high priest forever. There's no one else who has ever been able to be in his position. And there's no one else who ever will be able to step into that. So what does that mean if Jesus is our priest forever? What does that mean if he's an eternal kind of priest? There's another piece to this. When we talk about the priests, another part of what they had to do is they had to offer sacrifices continually. Okay, in order to to represent that God giving forgiveness to the people, they would sacrifice an animal, the shedding of the blood for the sake of forgiveness for the people. And when the priests did this, they would go in and they would sacrifice an animal for themselves to cover their own sin first. And then they would sacrifice one for the sake of the people to cover the sins of the people as well. But what does it mean if Jesus is our eternal high priest? It means that the sacrifice that he makes is eternal. So there's no need for him to continually make these sacrifices over and over and over again as he's getting ready to tell us. Here's what he says. Such a high priest meets our need. Jesus meets our every need. One who is holy, one who is blameless, one who is pure, one who is not a sinner like we are, one who is exalted above the heavens. And unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. All when he offered himself. This is the priest who doesn't just offer a sacrifice. This is the priest who offers himself as the perfect sacrifice. And it's a once and for all sacrifice. And after this, there's no more need for the temple. There's no more need 
for the sacrificing system. There's no more need every day, every day, wondering and worrying, am I in right relationship with God? The sacrifice has been made once and for all. And when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it is finished. He is the high priest. And he doesn't just offer a sacrifice. He offers himself as the perfect sacrifice. His own blood that covers our sins. That makes us righteous because he is righteous. And he gives that to us. That's what it means when we talk about Jesus being our high priest. Being the one who's like Melchizedek. Because he's a priest forever. It means that the sacrifice that he makes is forever. It's once and for all, and it covers you. It covers you. And through that, Jesus sends out this resounding statement of welcome home. Welcome home. You can live in relationship with God because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. A perfect sacrifice. We're going to celebrate that in just a few moments as we break the bread and we take the cup, just like Melchizedek brought to Abraham the bread and the cup. So powerful the way that crosses over. But we'll remember not a priest who's like Melchizedek, one who's better than that, the eternal one, a great one. The beauty of this is that there is this historical figure that has been puzzling to the people forever, right? For, for as long as they've heard that story, they've tried to grasp the meaning. And so they start to develop all of these meanings out of it, right? And they think, well, maybe he was an angel. Maybe he's a representation of God. Maybe he's this. Maybe he's that. But he remained a mystery to them until Jesus comes onto the scene. And in light of Jesus, the mystery of Melchizedek is made clear. And the enigma, right, all of a sudden we're able to grasp and it makes sense. The same is true for us. The mysteries of our lives begin to make sense only in light of Jesus. And the fear that we experience gets replaced by peace and the confusion that we experience gets replaced by trust. The mysteries of your life begin to make sense in light of Jesus. Now, when we say that, what we mean is this. I do not mean everything happens for a reason. Okay, that's pseudo-religion, right? That's a cliche, and, and I'm not saying that. I'm not saying everything happens for a reason. What I am saying is that everything that does happen is redeemed through Jesus Christ. And he's able to take everything that has happened in your life and redeem it for his glory, but also for your growth. And that's what he's able to do. The mysteries begin to make sense only in light of who Jesus is. So I don't think that Jesus made you lose your job. All right. I'm not saying that everything happens for a reason. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think Jesus made you lose your job, but I do know that he'll take that situation and he'll redeem it. And as he, as he walks you through the difficulty of that and the disappointment of that and the fear of that, he will begin to cultivate trust in you 
And you'll begin to see even how this difficult situation has been redeemed through who Jesus is. And the mystery will begin to take on a different light because of Jesus. I don't think Jesus made you sick. I don't think Jesus made you sick, but I believe that he'll walk with you through the darkness of that. And I believe that he will show himself to be your strength. And I believe that he will prove that there is comfort in his presence, regardless of what else is going on around you. I don't think that Jesus orchestrated your divorce or caused your family to break apart. But I do know that he'll step into that hurt and he will love you with an unfailing kind of love and an unswerving kind of faithfulness. And you will find healing in the depth of the relationship that he's drawing you into with him. I believe that the mysteries begin to take on a different light when we look at them through Jesus. I don't think that Jesus is causing your depression. I do believe with everything within me that he'll enter into your pain and he'll bear that weight with you and for you and somehow he will become the light in a darkness that you are afraid is going to swallow you whole. And he will become for you even though it's difficult to understand how it could even happen, he will become joy in you when you wondered whether you'd ever be able to experience that again. Joy, even in the midst of that struggle and that pain that just thinking about it makes your chest tighten up. He is with you and he's walking with you through that. That's who Jesus is. He's a priest forever. And because he's a forever kind of priest, he makes a forever kind of sacrifice, a sacrifice that is once and for all. And it's for you. It's for you. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's to empower through grace, walking in obedience to him. And whenever you screw it up, that forever grace is still there for you to draw you in, to say to you, welcome home. You're still here. I'm still with you. You don't have to go back to the beginning and start all over again. We're starting from right where we're at. This is a once and for all sacrifice. It's still good for you. It's still good for you. And in Jesus, even the mysteries that we've puzzled over that we can't get our minds around, they begin to take on a different kind of light when he gets their hands on them. And through him, even the mysteries start to make more sense for us. On his last night with his disciples, Jesus took the bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken to make you whole. Every time you eat of it, remember my once and for all sacrifice, the forever sacrifice.
for the forgiveness of your sins. And he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood poured out to seal the new covenant that God has made with his people. And through this blood, you can experience forgiveness for your sins because the forever priest offered not just a sacrifice, but the perfect sacrifice. He offered himself so that you could experience forgiveness from your sins and freedom from sin through his grace. Every time you taste of this cup, remember what I have done for you and celebrate the grace that I've poured out for you. Today, we're gonna do that. We're gonna share in the table together. I'm gonna ask my friend, Pastor Ernest, to come forward and help us. As you know, what we will do, you'll come forward and Pastor Ernest, you can stand right there. You'll come right to where he is there. And tear off a piece of the bread, okay? And I'll be standing right next to him with the cup. You can dip the bread in the cup and then taste and see that the Lord is good, okay? Um, Don't break off little crumbs. As we've said before, there are no crumbs in the kingdom, okay? Break off a big piece. You're at the family table, okay? Celebrate the grace of God in your life. This is how we express our gratefulness of what, for what Jesus has done for us. This is how we express that we are embracing what Jesus Christ has done for us through the cross. And if you want to express that today, express that you are embracing that sacrifice of Jesus and you are taking that as a sacrifice for you to forgive your sins, to cover your sins, and to make you whole and new. We welcome you to come and to celebrate that with us at the table.